Welcome to The Uplift, where we are uplifting our lives, uplifting each other, and uplifting our communities together. Thank you for joining myself, Sai Herrera, and Tessa Savala here, two women, two attorneys, doing it our way, and inviting you here each week to share in on the stories, advice, and life lessons we've picked up along our journeys that keep us uplifted, and that will hopefully do the very same thing for you. Now buckle in and let's get ready to be uplifted. Okay, Tessa, tell me a little bit about your backstory. Maybe start with your childhood. Well, you know, I think I often hear, especially living in Texas, so many people say, well, I was born and raised in Texas. My backstory is not nearly as simple as I have lived in one place and only know one thing for my entire life. I was born in Belgium to a mother who was a Swedish citizen, a father who's an American citizen, and spent my until school age years essentially in Belgium. Then we moved to the United States and mostly lived in a Swedish household where we I spoke Swedish to my mom and remember my younger brother coming up to me when we were both in elementary school and him telling me, We're in, you're in America now, Tessa speak American, which didn't make sense to me then, because I'm like, uh, I'm older than you, and I've been speaking to our mother in the same native tongue since I, since before you were born. <laughs> but, whatever, I think, you know, that kind of fish out of water, mm-hmm. moving from Belgium to the United States, specifically into Oklahoma and Texas, it was very, it was strange to me. I remember thinking to myself, why did you people bring me here? <laughs> it made no sense to me. And I think it was mostly, you know, you're a kid and you're like, I love my grandparents and now my grandparents are an ocean away. What mm. kind of torture has this created for me? And my mm. grandmother's always been such a role model for me as a child and into my adult years, even now after she's passed away, that it was troubling for me to be that far away, especially before the internet where you could easily like FaceTime. Right. Anyway, I digress in my story of my life. Then I went to college in Texas, went to law school, met my husband during college, and we ended up in San Francisco, and then ended up in Houston, and then settled in Austin. And it has been a, a joy knowing that he is from a different culture from than my culture, and it has helped me navigate things a lot easier. And I think I see things in multiple perspectives coming from, you know, a Swedish-American married to a Mexican-American. It's We don't see things the same way, but it's a very cohesive, how do we meet in the middle? And it's guided me both personally and professionally because of that diversity and understanding that I am not just some born and raised American. I haven't been able to navigate the waters as easily as born and raised Americans have. Mm-hmm. And why did your parents bring you here? So my dad's job, it was with an oil company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the oil company was, you know, based in Texas. Mm-hmm. So here you end up when it's, you know, when you, the breadwinner has the job. Mm-hmm. And what was it like going from, because you were already in school, like you said, what was it like going from Swedish schools to American schools? Was that a special experience? So I, th- I started schools in the United States. It was, I remember vividly 
like walking through the halls of the elementary school in clogs <laughs> and the noise rattling and that you know here comes this blonde girl with two long pigtails that are braided and oh, her really? wooden soled shoes <laughs> I mean, like I vividly remember this thinking this wow. is weird <laughs> this is really strange Oh my god, I love that image of you, with little baby <laughs> Tessa in her but, little clogs. Oh my god! I think it also made me defiant, right? Like I think when <laughs> you are an outsider, like being an immigrant is, and knowing multiple languages, especially as a kid, kids are mean to each other. Yeah. And when you show up knowing multiple languages and wear wooden shoes, you can either choose to like lean into it, or you can choose to adapt. And let's just say I did not choose to adapt, mm. and like. Or conform, I should say, not adapt, conform. Mm-hmm. I did not choose conforming. Did your did your brother, I wonder, like, were you all very different in that um, tactic? Oh, he is definitely a conformist. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, I, I'm assuming that's why he told me to start speaking quote-unquote right. American. Right. But I'm right. sure five-year-old him didn't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. So what were your special challenges growing up, you know, being I mean just being defiant really if you're not a conformist you're defiant in that way so what was that like was it was it a special challenge being who you are just trying to be your authentic self in this new space you know looking back on it I think I did not have like a core group of friends but I I had some core friends but it wasn't like a a clique that I belonged to and I think it was because of that you know immigrant status and growing up in a household that even though you're in the United States is very much in tune with one culture and mm-hmm. not even letting in other cultures. I mean, it's very much a stronghold when Scandinavians are involved, like all the family friends were Scandinavians. Mm. I think I learned to adapt to multiple groups more easily. Like I understood what I needed to do to get along with say the cool people. And I understood what I need to do to get along with the academics. And I understood what I needed to do to get along with the athletes. Yeah. And I never had allowed myself to be defined by a group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like that flexibility that it gave me. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that for sure. Um, you talked about how your husband is Mexican-American, and I wonder, like, do you see parallels in, you know, that same experience that you had in his experience? I think his experience, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like um, mainstream society was much harder on him and his culture than mainstream society is on mm-hmm. my privilege of not looking different right mm-hmm. like I'm blonde and blue eyed but I look like I can fit in yeah he doesn't have that same privilege and that yeah. I think is much harder and unfortunate part of society right right absolutely absolutely um and what was what was college like for you the college experience and also I just I'm curious <laughs> like did you have you know I, I mean I know you were so young but I mean you know, your grandparents were still, like you said, across the ocean. Were there other people that you had there that, you know, I don't know, would 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 influence your perspective as you were going through these different stages in your life, like being in America versus being there and like what your life maybe would have been like or how it would have been different had you stayed there? Do you do you have that? 
we, we, so my mom is one of seven kids. Mm. Four of them came to the United States and three of them stayed in Sweden. Mm. And when we would visit my aunts and uncles in the United States and my cousins, I think I had that experience to talk with them about it. I know my aunts were very concerned about how I was adapting because I think I was probably the most Swedish of all the cousins that were not <laughs> living in Sweden. Mm. And I just remember as a kid, like, we would visit every, say, year and a half my grandparents. And I would come with equipped with a list of questions that I needed answered by them. Like, I didn't tell my parents. <laughs> I didn't want to know. Like, there were things that I needed to know. Mm. And I was only going to get them answered by my grandmother. Interesting. And then some of them were really defiant little things. Like, you know, I remember first trip back and I was like, I needed to learn how to curl my own hair. I need to learn how to braid my own hair. I mean, no little kid needs to know how to do this on their own. Like, yeah. do you want a seven-year-old to be operating a curling iron? Probably not. <laughs> but that's what I needed to know. And like, I need to know how to make my own lunch. I needed to know how to make oatmeal. And like, I had a wow. list and I was oh, ready wow. to go. Yeah. But, you know, I was also very defiant. There's a story that my parents sometimes tell about me that I think really defines me up until this day. I was two and I was put in the care of a babysitter in Brussels. The babysitter was like a 17, 18 year old. And I think I was technically under the care of her mom because my mom was pregnant with my brother. The babysitter left her teenage daughter in charge of me while she went to run an errand like an adult would. And I found an opportunity to escape and I did so oh wow I remember trying to figure out how to reach the doorknob and then I just walked multiple blocks through Brussels to get to our house and knock on the door and apparently I talked to the neighbor in French because at that time living in Brussels I knew enough French to talk to neighbors and from being out in society I was speaking Swedish to my mom and English to my father and so here I am, a little two-year-old, walking around Brussels for a couple blocks, just defiant as ever. I'm going to escape the babysitter, and I wanted to go home, so I decided <laughs> to walk myself home. And I think that's pretty true to me today, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think the way things should be are is correct. Like, I think you should always question and do what's right for you. And apparently I started when I was two, and it hasn't changed. Wow, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. So in general, it sounds like you were able to just keep your sense of self no matter what continent you were on. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it was related to outside forces. Like, I think it was just intrinsic in me not Mm -hmm. allowing what other people said to bother me. You talked about your grandma. Um, Do you think that some of that came from her? Absolutely. She was a force, but also very polite, always dressed to the nines. Mm -hmm. And there's a great story of her when my grandfather was trying to court her and she was not interested. She owned a cafe in like the 19 teens in Sweden. He was a patron. She thought he was too much of a ruffian. He ordered (laughs) coffee. And because she was so offended by him, she brought him tea (laughs) <laughs> and that was her way of just like <laughs> telling him no and I, you know that's kind of mm. little acts of defiance that don't necessarily anger other people but enough to make them think I think mm-hmm. I learned those 
tactics from her because she was a queen at it. Like, you know, it's never going to be overly offensive, but it's going to be just enough to make you question what's going on around you. And that's what she was really gifted at. I love that. My grandma definitely also taught me how to be defiant, but she wasn't um, so subtle as I would say. <laughs> but, but she did She did admire me, which means everything to me that, you know, she always would say, like, I like her. She, you know, she can win an argument without, you know, without ever even breaking a sweat. Like, she kills him with kindness type of thing. And so <laughs> I liked that I had her approval for that because it meant, you know, I was being effective like her. So, so um, you are childhood story and what your first memories of your grandmother are doing these things oh wow um well my childhood um started in Ohio so I was born and raised in Toledo Ohio and you know Toledo is just one of those rust belt towns like a lot of rust belt towns in that area um just south of Detroit and um you know we grew up kind of dealing with um, poverty in a sense, um, instability in a sense, but also just a big loving family, um, also just um, a lot of interesting different opportunities to see how people live their lives. So, you know, speaking of my grandparents, they were business owners and um, that was a big part of our lives. Um, they owned and operated um, really like a, a Mexican nightclub of sorts. And it was something that were, you know, was kind of at the center of a lot of what we did. It's where we had our family, you know, gatherings. Um, it's where, you know, people played music and it was this cultural tie um, to something that was really far away for us. I mean, my grandparents were born in Texas, actually. They were born in San Antonio and they moved up north when there were, you know, factory jobs. Um, and from there, it's like, you, you have to work to keep your culture in this. I mean, we're in Ohio. <laughs> it's not the same as Texas, right? And so, um, so what do you think about that? How did that shape yeah. you working to keep your culture? It's something that is very familiar to me, but I would yeah. love to hear your experience with trying to keep your culture in a country that drowns your culture out. Yeah, I think it's always I think it's always a really interesting struggle. I mean, I think we share this 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 experience of, you know, being in a place that is not your home. It really isn't. You know, like even though I was born in Ohio, I never felt like, oh, this is these are my people. This is where I'm from. You know what I mean? It's just was like this is where we live. And um the prominent culture is very different than our subculture. And for me, it was definitely an identity you know, cornerstone. Um, for me, it helped me make sense of why I felt different um, in this place. And it made it, it made it okay, because it helped me understand kind of, you know, the duality of it all. I mean, I'm absolutely American through and through. I've never lived anywhere else. Um, and when I was growing up, it was like, I could, I knew like from a young age that like, this was an important thing. Um, and I think it was partly because the people around me, like my family, they, they, I don't know that they worked hard at doing it. It was just like, they valued it. 
you know, they valued it and I could see it. Like my grandparents made this place just so that our community could have a place to celebrate our culture. Like that's the way that I see it. And yeah, it was a nightclub. It was a place where they, you know, had a business, but they never made tons of money. <laughs> it was just, you know, a thing that they love to do. It sustained them. And it was a place that like we could have the music that we like and we could dance the way we like and we could, you know, just speak the way we like. And, and it it was just amazing to have a group of people that just um, love these common things that are not mainstream. And so for me, it was definitely something that like, I, I don't know how to explain it, to be honest. I feel like it was something that helped me feel like I had a connection to my my authentic self um, as I was living this American life, you know, and um and and it's just strange because I, like I said, identify as American and at the same time I identify as Mexican. I mean, it's just very much the duality of the, the reality is that you have both of these sides and you're both. It's not like, you know, some people think of it as you're more Americanized or you're more this or you're more that. And for me, it's like I'm fully both. That's how I think about it. Like when I see people... Um, you know, on the other side of this line that has been created at our southern border, um, I just think like those are my people. They were the same people. We're like literally the same people, but I just had this experience growing up and they had a different experience growing up. And so to me, it's it's so important to keep that in mind because you could easily lose everything that, you know, maybe that you relate to um, without that. So so that was a huge part of my childhood for sure. Um, yeah. I think that duality has helped with your decision-making and how you handle situations from, from your childhood and on. Has mm-hmm. it been a benefit yeah. to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that having that helps you understand that there is that for everybody else too, right? Like I don't just relate to Mexicans and Mexican American people, but I can relate to other cultures, other people that have had a different experience. And I think that it's because you have that perspective of, okay, this was hard for me. You know, (laughs) this was, this was a challenge in a sense, or this was really enriching for me to have this cultural element. Right. And, um, and knowing one struggle is like knowing other struggles when you learn about them. And I've always been fascinated by that. So I think some of the milestones in my life too, in education, interestingly enough, was that, you know, I got, I didn't get to learn about my culture in school. That 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 reflecting on that now is really interesting to me because I think it's it's pretty sad, um, but that was never a thing. Like we weren't learning about Mexican culture in Ohio. That was not a thing, but we did learn about. Um, we did learn some about a uh, very limited amount about, you know, the history of, of Black Americans and African Americans in this country. And um, of course, you know, we learned about slavery and some civil rights stuff and different things like that. And I found myself being very drawn to that because I realized like, oh, you know, here's the people that were in a struggle, um, still in a struggle, obviously, but it was something that I related to where I was like, no one else is talking 
we're not talking about anything else like this, you know, <laughs> like everything else yeah. that we're talking about is just, um, you know, this is how America was formed. This is how we do things. Um, and you know, the history of how we got here was very, in my mind, told from a certain perspective. Um, but then when you talk about things like slavery and this, you know, this whole other realm of 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 someone else's perspective because i mean obviously you can talk about slavery and other um historical events like that in one perspective um but it just forces the conversation somewhere else when you're talking about such atrocities, something that obviously impacted one group of people based on skin color or identity in some way. And so to me, that that opened up a whole new can of worms in my mind. Like that was that was a huge turning point for me. Like I remember literally laying on the floor in one of my classes because I had an incredible teacher who wanted us to experience, um, you know, just in a, as a mind exercise, as a little small physical exercise of what it felt like to be in this tiny space that was a slave ship. And, you know, I think it's interesting that that stands out to me and it shows how like just doing something outside of the norm can stick with people. And that that does, it still sticks with me today because it was a point in t- my time of life where I realized, um, oh, you know, there are all kinds of stories. There are all kinds of struggles. And it almost validated the ones that I had already witnessed with the people that I know and the people in my community, um, you know, seeing how they struggle. And I, it just started opening up that window for me where I was like, okay, there's something here. And, and then I built on that, you know, throughout my education where I learned so much. So, um, so yeah, really interesting place to grow up actually. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. I had a similar educational experience in Oklahoma that, you know, I don't think a lot of people would think, Oh, you had a great educational experience (laughs) in Oklahoma, but I did in high school because it was in Native America and my best friend Mm -hmm. was Native American Mm -hmm. and I was able to understand you know a culture that has been forced into yeah really bad situations by the government yeah and has been able to find its way to thrive and regain some power for itself but it has never been easy but it's nice to see that that culture was able to stay intact and still is intact. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When there's, as you point out, so many forces around you trying to tear down your culture because of it having those other forces having louder voices, right? When your culture is a, not as big and not as prolific in a country. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that is... Um, that was definitely formative in my childhood. I mean, I will say that where I grew up, um, we had some diversity, which was nice. Um, but surprisingly, actually, we didn't have a lot of actual Mexican people or like, even though we had like, you know, these small cultural centers, it was the only time really where I felt like I was with, you know, my people. Um, I, like in school, I didn't have that. I had, I mean, I had 
a group of friends that was diverse, very diverse, but I was always attracted to, you know, making friends with the people that were different, um, mm-hmm. that were not mainstream because I felt different, right? And yeah. um, and it was just, it's just, it's just so interesting the way that that happens, the way that, you know, you relate to each other. And so, yeah, I think that embracing your culture it does open up a lot of things. And like, I've seen the opposite too. Like I've seen other people who, you know, very intentionally reject their, their ethnic culture um, in order to, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, just to assimilate um, and to be part of that mainstream. And um, I find that very, very intriguing because, you know, what I've, what I've come out with in my life is that, um, I can operate in, in both worlds, in all worlds, you know, with all people. And I think that's the, a beautiful part of America, but it's also a place that you have to get to as an individual. You know, yes. it's not something that comes as a given because you live in America. It's something that you have to come to as an individual where you have um, embraced your true authentic self and you've been able to embrace the true authentic self of everyone and, and, and accept them as whole people and not as just this slice of, you know, acceptable mainstream Americana. You know, I don't know if you share the same experience. I have found that it influences my view on a lot of issues in modern day and how I mm-hmm. view society, like especially when it comes to gender and gender identity. Because when you are a strong CIS female and you're in a say subculture and you're trying to maintain it you have that inner strength that is categorized by some as you're difficult or you know you're a witch with a bee Mm -hmm. or you're argumentative just because you have a strong sense of self and Mm. you know what your opinions are and you understand who Mm -hmm. you are and how that can impact society Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, tying that to what you asked about my grandma, um, you know, she is my strength in that regard. Um, I've always been opinionated. Um, I think I became a lawyer because people told me early on that I was like a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, the reason I mentioned my grandma there is because she was just that. She was one of these people who was, again, like you said, a force to be reckoned with. And I mean, I mean, the reason why it's so astounding is that, you know, she grew up in that same era so long ago where it's like, this was not, I'm sure this was not, um, this was probably frowned upon. This was probably not (laughs) the ideal of what a woman should act like or what have you. And I love that about her because she, you know, defied all of the stereotypes. And I mean, it was really just that she felt secure in herself and her thoughts and her stances that she would assert them. And people probably thought those same things about her, but she did not care. And that was the most revelational, you know, revolutionary thing in my mind. It was like, it was a revelation to me to see a woman who was so strong-willed, so strong-opinioned, and so assertive. And she didn't have to, you know, be aggressive or be harmful to anybody. She just was like, this is me and take it or leave it. 
and that's mm-hmm. it. And I just thought like, wow, I, I mean, I really, really would look up to her in that way. And, you know, I was a very sensitive soul when I was young. Um, maybe I still am, but it was like going to her and telling her all the things that were going on. And she would just change my perspective, like 180, you know, she would just wow. be like, why do you care about what those people think or whatever she would say where she's just like, you know, forget them do this, you know? And I would just be like, Oh, like (laughs) I can think like that. And looking back on it today, it's really interesting because it makes me think like, what scripts did I have in my head where I thought this is what I have to do. I have to accept this. I have to please these people. You know, like where did all of that come from? That comes from all of these societal sources that you can't even pinpoint. You know, those are just messages that you're being sent as a young woman all the time. Um, and then to just have somebody, you know, tell you the opposite and show you what that looks like is just something that you cannot, you know, you can't replace. It's just something that is so special. And so I'm so grateful to have that. And I just hope that um, everybody has somebody like that in their lives. And if they don't, that, you know, maybe we can pass on that strength um, through this. I I hope we can too. I think... I like to think that our diverse experiences and our understanding of what it's like to be an outsider and the need to have that personal kind of strength can help other people understand that it's okay to have mm-hmm. these strengths because mm-hmm. even when society is telling you, you should not. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be, and maybe society's improved so they're not overtly telling people they shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. things. But there are so many like undercurrents that are just built into society, like something as simple as dress codes that are always targeted mm-hmm. toward mostly women. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, we could have a whole episode about dress codes. <laughs> and not even dress codes, but like literally just like, I mean, in the workplace and schools too. But I mean, just being judged and I mean, mm-hmm. even over-sexualized um, for what you wear. Um, so many things. There's so many layers to it. And I think that, you know, what you just said about it not being overt is actually why we need to talk about it even more. Because, you know, when it was overt... Um, I think that people created certain coping mechanisms where they're just like, this is how we deal with this today. This Mm -hmm. is what we can do. Uh, When it's not over, I think it's so much harder because, or maybe not harder, but it's very different in that you have to now identify that this is the thing that is happening. And now you have to figure out how you're going to respond to it. Because if you don't even understand that it's happening, then you're actually just being manipulated. <laughs> and so. what's worse is when we do it to ourselves. Right? Absolutely. Like, yes. We think that we shouldn't be speaking up or we think that, you know, we haven't been here long enough, so we couldn't have an opinion. And the limits that we place on ourselves are so dangerous. Absolutely. And the the most dangerous, I would argue. Absolutely. And so, you know, for for my little story, you know, I, like I said, grew up in this this part of the world um, that was very much like a factory town. Um, But I kind of grew up also to the point where it became like a post-industrial era where, you know, nothing good has replaced it. But the factories kind of have abandoned the community. I've seen a lot of hurt a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, disability, a lot of mental health crises in my community, a lot of desperation. And um, I think that that obviously 
is hugely influential on who I am today. Like today, I consider myself a health advocate. I went to law school because I seen literally, you know, people in my community that just had zero access to the legal system. And I would get so indignant about it because I was, I was like a lawyer type. I'm just like, that's not fair, you know, and all the justice (laughs) stuff. Right. And so that was just who I was. But then I thought, you know, I could do something about this. Like I can get good grades. I can pass tests and I could go to school and get this thing called a law degree and a law license. And then I would be your lawyer and I could just do it. You know, I could just do it for you. You and you wouldn't have to be begging these lawyers to take your case or, you know, to work with you on money and all that. So that's why I ended up going to law school in the long term. <laughs> Very short nutshell of my story. Um, that's how I ended up there. And, you know, from law school, I just learned really how you can collaborate with people to do the most good um, for communities. And that's what I'm trying to do today. And today, um, you know, I'm working in a nonprofit organization at the head, trying to find ways to, you know, really get at those things that keep people from being healthy and being whole and becoming their whole self-actualized people. Like for me, culture is one of those things that I feel like is worth fighting for. You know, and when you see people struggling just to survive, they can't really be their whole full selves. They can't really celebrate their full culture or just actualize, you know, to who they want to be in their lives when they're struggling with these basic needs. And so, you know, that's why I chose to be in the public interest realm in in this public service space of, of nonprofit work, because I believe that these are the organizations that are really going to change things for folks that are changing things for folks on the day-to-day basis and um and i think it's it's an amazing thing for people to just come together and change things make make people's lives better with them um and so that's that's kind of the long and short of it i was able to you know get through law school by some miracle not knowing anyone else that has ever graduated from graduate school in any regard as <laughs> the first person in my immediate family just to go to graduate from college um and I remember like getting college applications and thinking like you know from big schools like I don't know why they're sending these to me this they must send them to everybody and I didn't even apply to some of these big schools that I could have gone to I mean I just never knew you know, what was available to me if I believed in myself. And so that's another thing I really want is for anyone that's hearing this to understand that um, most of the limits in life are self-imposed, like you talked about. And um, if you really, you know, just believe that you're worthy, then you are. Yeah, and I think it's oftentimes so much easier when you have a, a support system like your grandmother or my mm-hmm. grandmother who was able to tell you that you can and that just because it's been a different way doesn't mean it should be that way and to allow you to understand different perspectives. But not everyone has those right. positive reinforcements and that's that makes it harder. And they should have somebody that can help them see that the limits they place on themselves doesn't help them even though they think that's the way it should be 
exactly. And question everything. <laughs> I think that, yeah. I mean, my a new part of my life is my daughter. And the one thing, the one goal I have is to teach her to be a critical thinker. Because when you question everything, then, you know, everything is possible, actually. I, I think that that is a huge part of it. So that's that's another goal I hope that we can kind of work on through this because I want folks to know that, you know, even if everyone in your bubble is telling you to conform and to, you know, be who they want you to be, um, yeah. question it, question it, question it, question it, and and think about, you know, why maybe you even think that you should be doing that um, and and make sure you're getting to a place that is really who you are, who you want to be, what you want to do, where you want to be. And I'm of the opinion it should feel right to you as well. Like it should be a place where you organically feel like you fit. If it gives you the heebie-jeebies mm. or you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, find the place that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. That's right. Not that I don't think you should, I think you should step outside your comfort zone, but at the heart of the matter, you should feel like you should be there. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And also there's, um, I mean, there's so many, so many things that we could, you know, touch on, but one of them is, you know, I always say to, to find your people and whatever you're doing, um, because at the end of the day, you know, if you're having problems with people, um, that don't accept you for who you are is really at the core of it. Um, then you just got to find your people. And when you find your people, it's an amazing thing. And, and frankly, that's one of the reasons that has drawn me to nonprofit work as well, is that when I was in law school, I would find people that cared about, you know, going into public interest that one, you know, I did a lot of internships at nonprofits and I was like, oh, these are my people. These people <laughs> believe we can do it. They're ready to do it. They're using their smarts for good, you know. And I just was like, yes, this is who I want to be around. And so, <laughs> yeah. That's what drew me to you when we met mm-hmm. in our unusual way, right? Like, mm-hmm. My husband knew somebody who was working with you, and you were looking <laughs> for legal jobs after mm-hmm. we moved to Austin. Mm-hmm. And then they connected us. And I'm like, I was just fascinated meeting another lawyer who didn't see things the mm-hmm. way some, you know, what is it? White shoe law firm was <laughs> because I don't think white shoe law firms summarize either of our personalities very right. well. Right. Exactly. And having a deep cultural identity. I think those two things, not wanting to mm-hmm. be part of, you know, an establishment that hasn't changed in hundreds of years and having a cultural identity really gives you a different perspective professionally and personally in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Great point. And I, you know, I feel like we have this deep connection from the beginning and I was grateful for it. I'd never been able to pinpoint why. And you did that beautifully. <laughs> that's right. And and I mean, and I think that's another reason why, you know, I, I just hope that um, whoever's listening to this is, um, is finding that in this space, right, is finding, um, okay, folks that are um, going about the plan, right? The plan is to do, I mean, many people get caught in this plan of like, now you go to this thing and then you go to this school and then you do that. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, it is what it is and it's it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. I think the good or the bad comes where the next step is how do you use it? And um, I think 
what we've found with each other is when you embrace who you really are and you're not afraid of pursuing what you really want out of life and what you want to do with your life, that's where you find the magic of, okay, I have a skill set. I have, you know, I have certain, you know, advantages and I'm going to use them to do what I want in the world. And that I think is, is key. And I hope that, um, people listening to this will be able to, through us, see that, um, they can do that too. And whatever that looks like, it's, it's a self journey, but it's a place you can get to with support and seeing other people do it. I agree. And I think it's like, if you have that example and you take that first step, the second step mm. is easier. And then yeah. you start identifying the times where you limit yourself, but it's getting over that hurdle of changing your mindset to make these decisions that benefit you more. That is really the hard part to, to get past, right? Especially when you don't have a support system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we hope that we can be that support system in a small way. We hope that we can pass on the supports that we've been blessed to have. And we hope that we can even build a community of people that can really support each other for a long time and get people on their journey to their full, full potential and everything that they really dream of being and where they can feel like they can be their whole selves. And I think you've just succinctly explained why we decided to call ourselves the Uplift Pod. Because <laughs> we're here to help people lift themselves up and lift other people up. Absolutely. Absolutely.